Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Abhishek. We are a cross-cultural couple doing life in India, exploring the lesser-known mysteries of Indian culture, interviewing fascinating figures who have chartered new territories, and sharing life as we raise our multicultural family amongst the complexities of modern Indian life. the super hot topic of raising bilingual kids. This has come as a request from some of our friends and listeners who commented on what they wanted what they wanted to hear us talk about. This is something that's also been on my mind for a topic that I thought would be really fun to speak about and also really challenging. I, there is a ton of information uh, on the internet. There are several podcasts out there as well. I wanted to give my perspective as well from being a part of an Indian American family, a multicultural family, and a family that is raising our kids in a bilingual environment. Actually, we're raising our kids in a multilingual environment. Being where we currently live in India, there are multiple languages spoken here. But even in the U.S., we really focused on bilingualism as a part of our kids lives and identity. Where we live, actually, all the parents are wondering how we, they can help their kids become more fluent in English. But whenever we interact with our primarily English-speaking friends or others online, we see that this is a big challenge to help our kids to become bilingual, even if one of the parents is fluent in another language besides English. How do you encourage the child to learn or even if a child is learning, growing up in a different country where there's another language spoken, it is not just a given that the child is going to learn that language. We have seen many examples, even here in India, where that's not the case. Language has to be something that's fostered and encouraged. And we're going to talk about some tips later on in the episode of what to do and what not to do to help your kids to become bilingual or multilingual. So our kids are four and a half and one and a half and are speaking English and Hindi. And I wanted to start to say that we are not the model family. I could put up a bunch of fake glossy advice in this podcast, but I'll tell you what has really worked and what has not worked. And what I've observed with the dozens and even hundreds of other families that I've interacted with who are struggling with the same thing or who are some who are succeeding, some who are failing for some that feel that their their kids aren't as fluent as they would hope. From those conversations, I'm gathering information and going to speak about those things in this podcast. I'm going to refrain from critiquing any kind of language learning products or services that I've used or may have not used. So just know that before we dive in. This is a conversation that touches on the philosophy and motivations of language learning, what works and what doesn't work for a child to achieve fluency. First of all, I want to say that there is no formula for language learning. So if there's someone out there that's trying to sell you a one-size-fits-all package, how to make your kids bilingual, just to run the other way. <laughs> Fostering bilingualism in a child is not something that can be forced or purchased. I think that a lot of English-speaking Westerners, especially Americans, want to raise their kids bilingual so that they can have a tool in their career toolbox. Oh, we need to learn Spanish. My kids need to learn Spanish. 
my kids need to learn Chinese, Mandarin, so that they can compete in the global marketplace, which is totally true. It's just so much more than a, a little hammer or a screwdriver in your career toolbox. We try to teach our kids without realizing that bilingualism comes with a dual identity. You cannot separate those two things from each other. We cannot commoditize human communication. You can't dissect language learning like a science project and expect that it will come back to life again. Yes, there are linguists that dissect languages, but that's their job on an academic level. We're not talking about that. We're talking about kids and how they gain fluency through learning. We like to make language a subject in school, pass or fail. And if you notice, some of the more difficult languages to access for white Westerners belong to people that we are actually most unlike, and may I say the most racist against, to be honest. And this is why I think that we're not able to learn those languages. Maybe we don't want to learn their culture or have their culture infiltrate our culture. When we learn a language fluently, it changes us. And I think that is what we are scared of. We want to dominate languages, not learn them. And that is sad. But it also isn't going to work. <laughs> in fact, in many cases, it backfires. So if you look back at most cases of colonialism, like India is a great example of that. Some of the British soldiers had learned Hindi, Urdu, Punjabi to rule the masses. Very few really did actually learn about the culture. And now, 200 years later, since the beginning of the British Raj, look at what has happened. Is British culture thriving from learning about Indian culture? A little bit. You know, they've got chicken tikka masala and they've got a few things that maybe they learned. They've got tea culture. But really, if you look at it, India is now one of the largest English-speaking masses in the world. So it kind of backfired, really, for the British. <laughs> and I'm not trying to make the British the bad guys here. This is what happens when we want to dominate a language rather than learn it. Also, look at West Africa with French. It isn't just the French anymore who mold French culture. It is West Africans as well. Studies show that kids learn through practice, verbally, through relationships. They only learn to read and write later on. Forcing a kid to read and write without understanding the language can actually harm their ability to connect with that language. And this is how we teach adults somehow. I don't know why we do this. We say, okay, learn, sit down and you know, learn how to write all of the Arabic letters and pronounce them. Okay, this, is, you know, this is not actually the way that children learn. And it's really not even the way that adults learn to gain speaking fluency. Any tool that exists out there that removes you from interacting with people is only going to work to a level. Again, I'm not going to talk about products or anything on this. But learning is about people and connection. So before I get into the tips of what to do and what not to do, I want to give you a bit of my background, our background. If you want to hear the whole story of who we are, listen to episode one, and that will explain a lot. We're a cross-cultural couple. My husband was born and raised in India, myself in the Midwestern United States, and we were both fluent in each other's languages before we met each other. So that was a big help in establishing some ground rules before we had children. 
And my husband didn't grow up speaking a lot of English until he was a little bit later in life. So that really helped him to gain a super deep fluency in Hindi, which is his mother tongue. And same with myself. I did not start speaking Hindi until I was in my early 20s. So most of my life was very deeply rooted in the English language. But we were able to learn each other's languages to a level of fluency. Now, both of those languages have a huge part of our lives and in our children's lives as well. So our philosophy about the kids is really about modeling. We, we also don't have unrealistic standards for the kids. Abhishek grew up speaking only Hindi for most of his life, and we do not expect that our kid is going to have the depth of vocabulary that my husband does living with the amount of English that we speak in our house. Plus, the world here has really changed. Even the Hindi that people speak now is adulterated with tons of English. So it isn't even the same Hindi that our kids are learning that my husband learned back when he was growing up. So that's the first thing we got to understand is what are the standards that we're placing on our child for learning? Another thing about our background is we now living in India, we actually don't speak a lot of Hindi together as a couple. <laughs> Maybe honestly, 25% of our conversation is really in Hindi and the rest of it is in English. We used to, however, when we lived in the U.S., speak a lot more Hindi with each other because it was scarce. We didn't need to speak Hindi with each other as we, here, we don't need to speak Hindi with each other to practice. We're speaking Hindi all day long with everyone around us. So in the U.S., we pushed it more because we had to. Otherwise, we weren't going to stay sharp. Our kid wasn't going to be hearing it if we didn't speak with each other. We did attend some cultural programs and religious programs, and we showed them media that two-way communication was not there. And I'm convinced, and studies show, that that is where kids pick up most is what they hear from their peers and what they hear from their parents and others living in their home. It is more about what the parents speak with each other than what they speak to the child. Our approach, we do speak with the kids in Hindi as much as possible, but we speak to each other a lot in English. So again, are we the model family? I don't think we are at all. But with that being said, our son is four and a half and is doing well. He isn't as fluent as in Hindi as his peers who speak only Hindi at home, but he is certainly fluent enough to manage himself in a totally Hindi environment. He's in Hindi school all day and does fine with that. He has friendships that are just in Hindi. He can talk with adults in Hindi, um, so he has that level of fluency. Uh, sometimes he'll get tripped up on vocabulary with more complicated vocabulary, but he's doing well. And our daughter, who is one and a half, is speaking more Hindi right now than anything else. And that's just because that's what we mostly speak with her. And that's, like I said, we speak to the children mostly in Hindi. But what they're hearing as we speak with each other is a mix. So she just kind of copies whatever you say to her. So she's speaking mostly in Hindi right now. Once they get old enough to talk back, I've noticed that kids talk in English a lot more because that's what they hear us speaking in. That's just been my observation as a parent. It's an interesting phenomenon. So let's see if it's any different this time because our son went through this crucial language point when he was in the U.S. and our daughter is going through this crucial language point in India. So let's see if that makes a difference. 
90% of the people she interacts with are Hindi speakers, where for our son in the U.S., it was the opposite. So we are also blessed to have Abhishek's parents in the same city. So we do get to interact and have that multi-generational Hindi environment. One thing, and I'll talk about this more in the tips, is that we do not translate for the kids. If they want to talk to someone, they have to figure it out themselves. I'm going to share about the tips of what worked for us and what I've observed has worked for other parents as well. I'm going to talk mostly about what I've seen other parents that have older children and then what has worked for us with our son because our daughter's really too young to make any conclusions about since she's not actually using much language yet. So the fit tip number one is modeling it, doing it yourself, making connections with people from that culture. Language is not some disembodied science project. It must be lived out in relationships with other people. And that's super important for our kids to see us learning, to see us engaging, to see us taking interest in other languages and other cultures and other people that are different than us. If we're able to take on and other cultural elements in an appropriate way and let a different culture change us, then our child will feel the freedom to do the same thing. As we reach across boundaries, across religious, cultural, racial barriers, our kids will see us doing that and they will have the courage and just really the, the normal, it will be normal to them to be able to do that. Modeling it is absolutely super important. So the second tip, tip number two, is helping the child actually connect with this language as an identity. When you learn a new language, it changes your identity on some level. And this is something that we really have to grasp as we think, how much do we actually want our kids to be bilingual or bicultural or multicultural? It's not just the language. It is a culture that you learn and it affects you and it changes you. So with our son, for example, we were try to help him to connect with his Indian identity as well as his American identity. We don't force him to be Indian. Oh, you need to be more Indian. You need to be more American. We just celebrate with him. Our kids eat Indian food, eat American food, whatever American food is, I guess, the hodgepodge of what American food, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> they listen to Indian music, wear Indian clothes. But since we live in India, that's what everyone else does. So I think next time we visit the U.S., our son, I think, will have a better understanding of what it is to be Indian and notice, start to notice some of those differences. I think right now he's more aware of his Americanness since that is what is different about him and what people comment on the most. So it's like whatever is more different is what people will comment on. I don't know how that affects a child, but it is what it is. Recently, he said, <laughs> he said to me, Mama, I don't have to do my Hindi homework because I was born in America. It's like, okay, where did you hear that from? Or did you just make that up yourself as an excuse? So he's realizing his cultural identity affects his language identity. Kids are extremely sharp in this. Don't be surprised if you're trying to have your child in an uncertain environment that they don't feel comfortable in and they try to push back. So maybe just examine what are the reasons for that. Is the child feeling uncomfortable? Is the child feeling like they don't belong? 
and there's a way to kind of maybe foster that celebration within them. Tip number three, letting the child play in that language. So letting the child have peer relationships, letting the child explore the language without correcting them too much, and also just not pressuring them so much. I think that letting the child speak English when they want to or speak whatever language they're more comfortable in whenever they want, and but being subtle about it. So, for example, just reinforcing the idea for if our son asks for something in Hindi, it usually catches my attention. I always respond. But sometimes, you know, when he's speaking English, he's going on and on and on, and it doesn't really catch my attention as much. So he knows that if I speak in Hindi, mama's going to listen. I also encourage, you know, Abhishek as well. Hey, he's asking you in Hindi. He's trying to talk to you in Hindi. So just try to talk back <laughs> rather than the, the kind of, you know, hey, I'm busy. This is an, inter- this is an interruption, but trying to be more excited when he does speak in Hindi and just respond back to him. Number four, the last tip of what does work, creating structured activities in whatever language your child is learning. And this is the one that, at least in my experience, have seen Americans focus on as point number one. Let's play YouTube videos for our kid. Let's play games. Let's sing songs together or use an app or use some kind of software. And I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm saying that these are great things as support. But honestly, I'm really skeptical these will actually be able to help a child to become fluent because there's not that two-way communication. There's not that relationship behind it that's encouraging the child to be able to really learn. And again, I'm not saying that these are bad things. These are just not the main thing that's going to help a child to learn. So let's talk about the things that don't work. Number one, the thing that doesn't work, bribery. If you don't talk in, if you talk in Spanish, I will give you this. Nope. I mean, anyone that's been a parent longer than five minutes realizes that bribery eventually backfires on you and that the kids realize you're just manipulating them and they're going to manipulate you just right back. So that doesn't work. Tip number two, pushing them too hard. Pushing in a kid too hard or forcing them, again, is going to backfire. A little bit of pushing is okay, encouraging, or when they say, oh, I want to give up. Pushing back on that and discover, trying to figure out why and what's the child feeling. Most people will rebel against strict rules and guidelines that you give. You have to do this. You have to speak this. You have to do this. Again, this isn't just a subject in school or a class. A child is really evolved and a really intelligent little person, and there are things that can affect his or her lifestyle and identity when they're trying to learn this language. And so letting them make that choice and letting them figure out some of those subtle cues is really important rather than just pushing them like this is a test they need to pass. Number three, things that don't work in helping a child to become bilingual is shaming. Honestly, I don't see a lot of Western parents doing this, but I see a lot of non-Western parents doing this. For example, your brother speaks so much better Spanish than you do. Or what we get a lot is, oh, you know, your daughter was born in India and she's already so Indian and your son is 
your son isn't as Indian as your daughter. <laughs> These subtle things are really shaming to a child. They don't help them whatsoever in picking up a language or kind of becoming comfortable in their identity. So if we could just stop it altogether of shaming children for not being enough or being too much of this or being too much of that and just let them be whoever they want to be. And obviously certain behaviors that are disrespectful or harmful, we want to correct. But if a child is exploring their cultural identity and it's not turning out in the little, in the quotient or the per percentage that you wanted, there's no reason we can, we need to shame a child or try to make them something that isn't going to work for them. Next tip is overcorrecting a child. If they make mistakes while speaking it is not going to help if they're just overcorrected. A little bit of correction is okay. Like if they're stumbling and looking at you. Sometimes I know that my kid already knows how to say something and he's just being lazy. So I will not say it. I'm like, yeah, if you want extra jam on top of your roti, you're going to have to ask for it yourself. Because I know you know how to say that. I'm not going to help you how to ask for that. In some cases, a child really is stuck or nervous, and so sometimes they need help. But overcorrecting a child in, oh, it's like this, it's like that, and expecting perfection, it just does encourages them to give up. So let them butcher it. Let them explore. Let them sing silly songs and make up stuff that doesn't make sense. Who cares? You know, they'll figure it out. Next tip, the last tip of how not to encourage a child to be bilingual is to be lazy ourselves and not model it. So modeling is the key for fluency. And I think that if you don't really want to put in the effort into your kid learning a language and to learn some of it yourself, if you don't already know it, I just don't know how it's going to work for your kid to be really frank. I haven't seen anyone at all ever who succeeded in really helping their child to have true fluency when they don't speak the language themselves or if their spouse doesn't or if they're just not willing to learn themselves. I just don't think your kid is going to want to learn anything. There's my two cents on that. Again, your child might pick up some, but fluency isn't going to happen. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't send our kids to immersion schools to learn German or Chinese or Spanish or whatever, because I think that it is super helpful to expose a kid to languages, but achieving fluency requires community. It requires the child to connect with an identity and children at a young age, especially really learn about their identity from their parents. So, so those are my tips of what to do and what not to do. I hope this is the beginning of a larger conversation about language, bilingualism, multiculturalism, exploring, learning about different cultures. So as I was alluding to in the beginning, learning a language is at worst a weapon of domination, neutrally a tool for your toolbox, and ideally a filter for life or an identity from which you can see the world. So please comment on any of our social media. I would love to have a discussion with you, some of you who are parents of bilingual kids, some of you who are in multicultural families. Please let us know what's working for you, 
what you think about this episode. Comment on the podcast. Give us a review. Write to us. Our email is invisibleindiapodcast at gmail.com. You can hit us up on any of our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 